Thanks for listening to another life-transforming message from the team here at C3 Southwest Washington. To find out more about our church, visit c3swwa.com. We have the great privilege this morning of having, or this weekend of having Pastor Simon and Pastor Valerie with us. Uh, Pastor Valerie went down to the church in Newburgh. She's preaching this morning. We have the benefit of Pastor Simon, also with the beautiful uh, golden locks, as I do, graced by our creator. Uh, Give him a big hand as he comes to the platform at this time to share God's word with us. We are truly, truly honored. I just want to say appreciate you. We love you, man. Thank you. Golden locks. That's lovely. Uh, Good morning. And uh, I am delighted to be here. Uh, At my age, I'm delighted to be anywhere. So... (laughs) Um, so uh, thank you, uh, Steve, for that uh, kind introduction. I sometimes wonder who they're talking about when they talk like that, because I live with me. <laughs> it's not always a pleasant experience. And um, so I just want to uh, say good morning. Uh, Valerie, as Steve has said, is down, uh, is it in Newburgh? Yes. Um, and here's the strange um, connection things, is that... Um, Shane and Stacia's daughter used to be my PA, uh, my personal assistant, years ago, before she grew up, left, and had a family, and got away from me. That was the deal. <laughs> so thank you so much for your, kind, your kindness. It's been a real joy getting to know your pastors. They are delightful, um, I would say authentic people. Yeah. I don't smell any, um, there's no um, love for the stage or love for notoriety or love for anything else but God's church in them, and that always delights me. And uh, that means that you're in good hands. And uh, Rowena, although she may not say a lot sometimes, she's a little, she's a little a pocket rocket. She's the pocket rocket. Steve's just a little robot that works, just, you know, does her will. And uh, lovely to meet the children. Uh, young adults, really, aren't they? Well, they're not children anymore. So, look, this morning, I've, um, right, so I'm just looking, I've got the, the, the countdown clock. I'm assuming that's in minutes, not hours. Right. Yes, yes, long-winded preachers, we don't want them. What, what I'd like to do today is, is to, is to uh, look at the Lord's Prayer with a little bit of context and look at it in a way that maybe you haven't seen it before or maybe you certainly have. I'm not going to assume too much. What's remarkable is that the Lord's Prayer, which I'm, look, I'm reading out of Matthew chapter 6, it's right in the middle of, um, it starts with the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 5, and it goes through chapter 6 and 7, and ends up with that remarkable state, statement about the, the house built on sand or the house built on a rock. And the point being, if you hear and do, your, your life will be secure. If you hear and fail to do, your life will be far from secure. And uh, what Jesus promised was that life would happen either which way, to the person built on the rock and the person who builds on the sand. Life will happen exactly the same to both of them. But the impact upon one will be different than the impact upon another. So in the middle of these remarkable, and you know, if if you were to sit down and try to have a pattern for your life, you probably couldn't do better than these three chapters. 
when Jesus in Matthew 28 talks about go and, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. What was he referring to? These kind of passages where he spoke to them about uh, attitude, about lifestyle, about sacrifice, about non-retaliation, about love, about a way of living that is so different than the way that the world teaches us that it is another kingdom without even having to, to explain it. It's another world. Now, Matthew chapter 6, um, I'm going to read. The disciples had, had, um, had said, asked Jesus about praying at some stage. That's one of the other uh, gospels says that. And, and then he says, he says um, pray then like this or use this kind of pattern for your praying. But another version says pray these words. So it's both, isn't it? It's both. It's pray these words specifically and also pray these words um, as a pattern for prayer. And what I discover that in these words of Jesus are all the major issues of the Christian life. They're all there. Everything's in there of deep importance to your present and to your future. It's summed up in the Lord's Prayer. Now, clearly, the Lord's Prayer is not about your individual needs and prayers. But clearly also, the Lord's Prayer is about the big themes and everything that will be in those themes somehow covers your life and your prayers. And what's also fascinating about this is that he not once is the word, or not once is the word I or me or mine mentioned in the Lord's Prayer. Zip, zero, zilch, None, not one time. And we have made this the prayer of an individual. But Jesus gave it to them as a prayer of community. Because there are things in this prayer that make more sense prayed together than prayed alone. Now, let me just stop right there. Does it mean, does it, this mean you should not pray the Lord's Prayer as an individual? Far from it. It probably should be your most popular prayer. But it also means that a good deal of its power is when we pray together. And I'll, give you, I'll tell you why as we go along. But he says these words, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, in Vancouver, as it is in heaven. That's what it's saying. I mean, you say, where did you get the word Vancouver? I don't pushed it in there. It's there by implication. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors or our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then Matthew says these things. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. That's both a magnificent promise and a punch to the gut. Because it's saying that if we harbour bitterness and anger without resolving it, without working on it, 
then we will be unforgiven by our Father for our sins. There's no other way you can read it. I know some, I've heard some people say that prayer no longer applies. It's no longer in the New Testament. And I'm, and it's no, but I'm thinking, okay, if you can take that one away, what, what other words of Jesus can we get rid of that are not convenient? I've literally heard say that prayer no longer applies to us. Oh, my friends, this applies to us day by day. Confession. This is a good confession. I'm not confessing my sins to you. Goodness only knows what you do with it. <laughs> It'd be up on Instagram in 10 seconds. And it would be called hashtag I knew it. <laughs> or hashtag I suspected so. <laughs> but I've got your names too. <laughs> Before I come to a church, I ask for all of the names, all the hashtag handles, and I'm ready to go. <laughs> That's meant to be funny. <laughs> a bit terrible if it was true, wouldn't it? Um, so for the last 18 months, I would say that most every day, and when I say that, it's not every day, but it would be at least five out of six days a week, I pray the Lord's Prayer. Now, I have this, this, um, I have this burden that I have. It's, it's a crushing burden because I have to walk along the beach in Miami every morning. And it really gets me down because it's just like, it couldn't get any nicer. And so, so I, I'm, I'm, I feel deeply sorry for you, for the, ra the rain and the wet. So, so, but I, every morning I'll, I will generally stand before sunrise on the beach and I'll pray this prayer. And I find that every time I pray it, there's some new aspect of it that comes to light. So what I'm going to go through this verse by verse, I hope some of what I've picked up gets into, uh, you know, under your skin in a, in a good sense. First of all, that was the point. Not once. Let me, this, our your, 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 us, us, our, us, us. Did you hear one pronoun? One, sing, not one. Isn't that fascinating? Not one. It has no focus on me. It has all the focus on us. We have made the Christian life so individualist, individualistically focused that we have somehow... We've got amnesia because most of what the Scripture talks about is about us and not about me. Baptism. Most of you, when you're baptised, totally valid, you're, you're, you're reminded of the death and then of the resurrection of Jesus and of your participation in new life. Is that correct? Absolutely. But it's about half of it, if you're lucky. And I know that luck doesn't come to theology, but you get my drift. The other bit of it is that you're baptised into a new community. So when those people were baptised, they knew that they were leaving one community and being baptised into a new community and they often lost all their contacts because of it. And we've made so light of it, we've made it such an individualistic experience, we've forgotten the community element of baptism. The Lord's Supper, when people sit down and they, say, they, they, they figure out, are they good, are they bad? Uh, have I done wrong or not? Am I right to be taking this? That's not the context to start with. And secondly, it's so individualistic focused that it misses the whole point. The, the proclamation of the Lord's Supper is a community event that tells you that's where the church is. It's not about me and my. It's about us and we. And that needs to be a revolution in the church because we read everything through the grid of how it affects me instead of how it affects us.
And like it or not, the people that are most deeply connected to you are your brothers and sisters in Christ, no matter how good your family is. And you may have magnificent families, but the connection as God's people, there's a richness in that that supersedes the greatest human family. And I'm not putting down great families. They are absolutely essential for any nation to survive. It begins with the family, and, it, and if we destroy the family, we destroy the basis of Western democracies and of true communities. And we'll end up with individualistic nonsense running riot. Anyway, enough of that. Anyway, enough of that. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, let me tell you, friends, God does not need to make his name holy. We do. How do we make God's name holy? It's very simple, by living holy. That's it. It's not more complicated. So when I, when I see Christians hammering against each other in social media, the world sits by and laughs in derision, rightly so. If we can't get it together, how can they hear our preaching? The unity of the church is a global disgrace. The disunity of the church is a global disgrace. Now, I'm, I'm including myself in that, by the way. I'm not standing up here speaking at you as though I'm, not just, as though I'm disconnected from what I'm saying. And I might be more culpable or guilty of that than many of you because of the nature of my job and my connections. But we make God's name unhallowed, number one, by disunity and by living unholy. And no wonder the world sits and goes, well, what have you got to say to us? What is there? You're fighting each other. There's so many issues, so many issues when, when, um, when the rampancy of divorce in the Christian world is absolutely phenom it's a phenomena. And, and I, understand, I understand the pressures. I understand people getting out of marriages because of um, danger to their physical well-being. I know all the nuances. I'm a pastor. I've been a pastor for longer than you've been alive, most of you. Well, except for Steve. <laughs> all the rest of you, are just, you're just a bunch of kiddies. <laughs> so, but, but we hallow God's name by living a holy life by showing love to our, 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 our brethren, etc. Your kingdom come and your will be done way before my kingdom and my will. My will is essentially toxic. But oh, it's appealing to me. <laughs> I would love my will to be imposed upon most of my circumstances, but nobody else would. Your kingdom come and your... That's, well, that's our first, the first is that we hallow God's name. That's, all, that's an Old Testament principle through and through. Jesus is reading scripture from Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament. The Jews called the Torah. So he's reading that and he's saying the prime issue over, over the top is the holiness and the integrity and the wonder of God's name. Number one, that's, that's our worship, by the way, isn't it? That's what worship is. Secondly, is your kingdom come, Lord. What you want done, be done. Now, there are occasions when God's will and my will intersect in a wonderful way and to my benefit. But there are plenty of times when it doesn't, but it's still to the kingdom of God's benefit. So I, I often pray this, um, your kingdom come and your will be done where I'm living in Miami, as in heaven. So it sort of localizes it, doesn't it? 
And you could pray in Southwest. Do you? So that's what you write. So you know, I, I knew where I was. I just didn't know how you identified it. So, so your kingdom come, your will be done in Southwest Washington as it is in heaven. That's a big, audacious prayer. It's going to take a long time to work out, but that's our prayer. Your will be done where I am. Your kingdom come. Your, your, your. No, my, my, mine. We have made the gospel toxic by focusing on the individual rather than focusing on God's community of people. All right. And yet, as, as your pastor was saying today, there's the wonderful aspect of God's love for you as a person. I'm not denying or minimizing that. It's just that if that's where we park, then we will get nowhere. We need, to, we need to, that's the fundamental that God loves us as people. And then that's the impetus for action. Then give us this day our daily bread. This is fascinating because this is the only prayer that in that prayer seems to have any um, earthly, tangible significance. This is, this is strange. So it either means literally what it says, give us this day our daily bread. And, and friends, even though most of you have got a fridge, which gives you your, day, your daily bread. There have been many, many occasions throughout Christian history where many millions of Christians have literally had to pray this prayer every day. Give us this day our daily bread. But there are, there are other theologians who suspect that it's more about the Lord's Supper and the broken body of Christ. Because interestingly, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts. It seems to be in the circle of or in the context of the death of Christ, the Lord's Supper, communion. And I wonder if, he's, if Jesus is saying that we're to pray, give us this day the bread of Christ. I mean, whether it is exactly this or not, it still works. Lord, give us this day your body, your blood, your life. Give us that constantly, that your life, your sacrifice, your body and your blood, which are the great, um, the, 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 world, the world doesn't, has no understanding of the body and the blood of Jesus. So much so that they used to call Christians cannibals because they were eating Jesus in, in the back rooms. But in a sense, we are. We're taking into our lives what the actual death and resurrection of Jesus meant on a daily basis, living the life of Christ and it's a life of the crucifixion and the resurrection at the same time. So, but it also could be just give us this day our daily bread. Because look, who hasn't had a moment in life where they don't know where the next meal's coming from? Uh, or they don't know how they're going to pay their mortgage that month? That's not uncommon to, to, to people, to human beings, which most of us are. There's a few of you who have ascended and a few of you who are robots. And we know who you are because we can see the red blink in your eye every three seconds. We're, we're, we're out for you. Give us this day our daily bread. Forget, and then, look at this, this is remarkable. Forgive us our sins. Why? Because we keep on doing it. As we also have forgiven our debtors. This is one of the most remarkable things because at the end of this scripture, Jesus says, by the way, that prayer hinges upon you doing this. The efficacy or the workability or well, the outcome of that prayer is premised upon the fact that you forgive. And, you know, I was saying yesterday to our pastors that one of the great dangers we've done with forgiveness 
is I, I've heard this taught time and time again. You need to forgive so that you can be free. And you know, it sounds correct. You need to forgive so that you can be released from that bodily disease. It, it could be true. It sounds correct. But that is not what Jesus is saying. That's an outcome, yes, but it's not the purpose. The reason why we are to forgive is because it releases the other person to be able to be forgiven by God. When Jesus said to Peter, behold, I give you the keys of the kingdom, I'm not quite sure what we think that is, but what it actually is, is the power of forgiveness. Here's the power of God's church summed up in a word, the ability to forgive or not forgive. And he said, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. That's about forgiveness. We use that prayer for all sorts of things, for victory and getting real estate. Uh, is it valid? Well, it, it, I guess it kind of works. Got no big deal with it, but it's not the original intention of it. There are other prayers that cover, cover getting prayer for real estate or prayer for a job. I mean, there's plenty of room in scriptures for those issues. But the prime issue of the keys of the kingdom and the loosing and binding is about the forgiveness of sins. And the one area where the Catholic Church has got this absolutely correct is that they see in the priest's job is the release of people from sin. And we hardly do that these days. To be able to pray with a person, to forgive them for their sins, that's the power of the kingdom. That was part of the apostolic power of Paul and of Peter. Isn't that wild? So, oh, well, that doesn't sound very exciting, Simon. No, 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 no. Forgiveness of sins is the biggest issue in the world. Now, we've been all hammered in the last number of years by all sorts of new theories and all sorts of things that make us all wrong, and it's a big problem with us. But typical of all theories through all the ages, they attack one thing and they blanket everything with it and they miss the whole deal. Karl Marx, you know, you know Karl Marx? An interesting man. He had a reaction against the misuse of wealth. Quite valid, quite valid. But his theory has created more hell on earth for more people than just about anything else. The amount of people that died in China and Russia under the Marxist style of government is, in, is, is up to probably 60 to 80 million people of their own people, genocide because of philosophy. They took an aspect of truth and they blanketed everything with it. But this, in our case, we're allowed to because Jesus said it. The forgiveness of sins is the big issue. It's the big issue. We will never go forward unless we forgive people of their sins. Why did the Apostle Paul get saved? And you know, most people will come up with Galatians, absolutely correct, because he's foreordained. Do you know why? And that's all true. But foreordination does not mean inevitability. Here's the deal. Do you know why Paul got, got saved? Or why, why he had a revelation of Jesus? You know, in technical terms, he didn't quite get saved. That's our words. But he, 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 saw, he saw who the Messiah was and he believed in the Messiah that was revealed to him. Here's why Paul had that revelation. One day, a man was on his knees being stoned by a crowd. His name was Stephen. Being stoned is a particularly vicious form of death. Not like being stoned from when I was a hippie, which was a wonderful way of living. <laughs> this is a particularly um, brutal form of death. On his knees, being battered with rocks, dying. And he said, Lord, do not hold this against them. I forgive them. Who was in the crowd? 
holding their garments, Paul the Apostle. Stephen forgave him for his sin. The Apostle Paul had a revelation of Jesus. Oh, what forgiveness can do. It's the, it's the forgiveness is the gist of the kingdom. That's what it is. If we live outside forgiveness, we live outside God's forgiveness for us personally. This is, this is a challenge. It's a challenge. If you're in, in France, this is a challenge. It's a challenge because I would doubt that anybody in this room doesn't have a reason to forgive. And sometimes the sins we have to forgive are particularly evil. And sometimes they're just that you got your toes stood on. But sometimes they are deeply evil sins that have created profound damage in human beings. The only way out is to forgive that person. And the only way we can do that is by understanding that Jesus forgave us. It's not, like, it's not like you have to grind your way through it. If we understand what Christ forgave us of, then it's easier for us to forgive those who've sinned against us. And by the way, I, I would doubt that in this room, there are not people who have been treated in a way that's damnable and evil, despicable, but aside from illegal and immoral. But the only way out is not to, is not to become the, the, the eternal victim is to become the overcomer by forgiveness. This is not easy, my friends, but this is the power of kingdom. And you know, I, I wonder if as they got together in the early church when they at times were persecuted mildly and sometimes very brutally, the brutal persecutions were very localized and they weren't, tens of thousands did not die in Colosseums. Those numbers are incorrect. But still, if you lost your father, who cares about 10,000? That's your father. The numbers become irrelevant when it's somebody who's close to you. And they would have had to gather together at times and forgive their neighbours and forgive their governments because of the evil that they did. Isn't that fascinating? Hard to do alone, easier to do together. And then this last part of the prayer is, um, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Do you know, as the more I pray that, the more I realise that we need to be delivered from evil, God's people. Temptation exposes evil. When Jesus, I wonder if Jesus was thinking back to the wilderness when he prayed this, or told them to pray this. When he was in the wilderness, he was tempted by Satan. He was tempted to, to um, foreshorten his journey. He was tempted to get round to his destiny by just a little bit of obeisance to Satan. Not much, just a little bit. He was tempted to, to jump off a a high temple to prove that God cared for him. These were, Jesus faced the deepest, the worst temptations, and they were attempting to bring him into a state of evil. Now, he didn't have the principle of evil within him, but he was still tempted. We have the principle of evil, evil within. Years ago, there's a man called, whom some of you may have heard of, and it was around the time before the, um, the Iron Curtain fell in Eastern Europe particularly, there was a man called Alexander Solzhenitsyn. And he was a very famous Russian dissident and intellectual and a Christian. And he'd spent many years in the gulags, brutally um, beaten and tortured, and, and yet maintained a faith and a dignity that few people did. Many died in those circumstances. 
And he, he said, you know, he said, we must be very careful in pointing out there all the time to evil. He said, evil runs right down a line through every person's heart. There's the capacity for evil in every one of us. And, you know, when you say evil like what? Well, evil like speeding. Well, you know, well, that could end up being evil for somebody else. But that, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying there's a capacity for destructive evil within a human, every human being. Jesus said, deliver us from evil. And when I pray, Lord, deliver me from evil, I'm aware of the evil that I'm capable of. Do, do we think that every German person in World War II was essentially a deeply um, committed um, Nazi? No, they did evil because they were afraid. When nobody's ex exempt from the possibility. I know you came here to be encouraged today, but you will be encouraged in three minutes 35 when I stand down. We'll end this with a bang, bang. <laughs> and then um, there's the caveat of prayer is forgiveness. Just sum it up. What do we need? God's will, food, forgiveness, and strength. They're the big ones. God's will, not mine. The daily provision, whether that's the reception of the body of Christ through communion or whether that's food itself, it could easily be both. Forgiveness, we have a need for forgiveness and we have a need for strength against things. That's basically what you need. So oh, I need a job. Yeah, okay, that's fine. You can pray for a job. But that that's, doesn't exclude the job. Maybe we could say that your daily bread is a job. It's a daily provision. Um, well, I'm praying for a... I'd like to get married one day. Uh, well, first of all, don't be in such a hurry. <laughs> I'm not, I, I love being married. I, I love being married. But I realise that when you get married, it's twice the trouble of you alone. Valerie's away, we can say these things. <laughs> I love being married. I'm, I'm not a good single person. But I'm, I'm saying it's not, it's not the end all of life. It's not, you know, it's, it's, it's not. Is that finding our, our settledness, our security in the love of Christ is the most important and most profound thing. My friends, that's the, that's the prayer of Jesus. And my encouragement is that at very least we pray that prayer um, regularly rather than just once in a blue moon. Because as you know, there is no such thing as a blue moon which means you'll never pray it. Um, Phil Pringle, when he was a teenage a teenager of about 19, he was, at, uh, an art, he was in an art school, university course, art school, arts college, whatever you call it. He was not a follower of Jesus. Um, he was given to taking certain drugs, um, what they called mind expanding, which in some cases became mind numbing. And in some cases, they take your mind away drugs. Um, and he was very afraid. They had been involved in seances, and one night he was terribly afraid. He said he felt a great and profound evil, and uh, all he could remember was the Lord's Prayer. So he prayed the Lord's Prayer, and that's all. But he remembered it. Isn't that awesome? For, as from a child, and he wasn't raised. His mother, who died when he was very young, was a Christian. So maybe in this little four-year-old boy's mind, the Lord's Prayer got stuck in there somewhere, which is wonderful. And uh, there's years that he prayed that. And within weeks or even less than that, 
he had a, um, they went to a little AOG church that was filled with old people. And they went in and the, the, the pastor preached the gospel and the power of God hit Phil. They got delivered. They, they got filled with the Holy Spirit and transformed, bang, one night. And that Lord's Prayer was that little trigger. So don't forget to pray the Lord's Prayer. And uh, what I'd like to do as we, as we finish, rather than me praying a general prayer, I wonder if we could pray the Lord's Prayer together. So would you mind standing to your feet? And when, when we get to the end, and we will add, um, for yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory, I will hand back over to your pastor and um, he will clean up my many mistakes. It's going to take him all day, so sit down and enjoy. So I want you to, I'm going to say the word, this, the, a line, and then let's pray as I say. So here we go. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our pastors, leaders, and what we do at C3 Church, visit our website at c3swwa.com.